0: I'm Kirk Hamilton.
1: I'm Maddie Myers.
0: And I'm Jason Schreier. And welcome to Triple Click After Hours. It's (laughs) time for some beans talk, which is like a beans cast, only we just talk. A.K.A. (laughs) Triple Click After Hours.
2: A.K.A. Jason's pet name for this. Triple click Look, after I've,
0: hours. I've got a glass of wine. I'm mm-hmm. I'm chilling. i have got the shirt unbuttoned. Uh, the sweatpants are on. Oh man.
1: <laughs> we almost called it triple click after hours. I've changed from my work uh-huh. sweatpants uh-huh. to
2: my after hours sweatpants. <laughs> yeah. I still have on my work sweatpants, but um I'll, yeah, me I'll too. be in my my after hours sweatpants a little later. To
1: clarify they're my work leggings, but mm-hmm. same diff. Mm-hmm.
2: Right, right, mm-hmm. right. Same difference. So um mm-hmm. yeah, we're just gonna be talking for this episode. We're gonna we have we have a couple of topics that we're going. Going to go through that I think would be kind of fun. Uh, our pasts and our futures.
0: Yeah, well, before we start, we should say big thank you to everybody listening because oh, of course, if you're listening of to this, you're a subscriber and we very much appreciate that.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yes,
2: you are responsible for our present and for our future. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> and we we thank you for your past support of the show. Uh, and, but and yes, you're really and, and future support. <laughs> you're, you're wonderful and your future support too. But, you know, your past support is the support that you have 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 already given and we yes. appreciate uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about how we got where we are. The three of us have had a long, and interesting trio of roads winding through woods separately and occasionally overlapping. And, uh, you know, Uh, that would be kind of fun. There are things about both of your stories that I don't actually know. I think there are probably things about my story that the two of you don't know. And I'm sure there are things about all three of our stories that listeners don't know. So this is where Mm -hmm. we're going to start. And then after that, we're going to talk a little bit about the future, just because it's a new year. And we've all made, if not resolutions, then new habits that we are trying to uh, try out in the new year. It doesn't have to be a resolution. It can just be something you're doing. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. But let's start with the past. Maddie, <laughs> I want to hear your story. Let's talk.
0: What's, what's your life story, Maddie?
2: Your whole life story. What's
1: my life story? I, okay, um... Well, that's a very broad question. I guess I guess <laughs> I will answer it by telling you my career trajectory because I don't want to start with my birth. Sure. And that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Tell us about the placenta. Tell us about exactly <laughs> the parole process.
1: The conception. I'm going to bring my sure, parents in. Sure, they're going to be socially distant.
0: Did you did you always want to be in journalism, Maddie? Did you always want to be a reporter?
1: I did not always want to be a reporter. So I went to Boston University, graduated in 2008. I was an English major. I was not a journalism major. When I was looking at colleges, though, I looked at a bunch of journalism programs because I thought about being a journalist even before Mm. college. And I picked English because it was very broad. And I thought about going into music, too, which I'm sure doesn't surprise either of you because I do music. So I thought about that. And I basically was trying to pick the broadest possible major that would allow me to maybe get a job. And I had no idea what that job might be, but I figured an English major would allow me to get one. And before the financial recession in 2008, that <laughs> yeah. actually seemed probable and even possible. Um,
0: <laughs> I mean, you have a but, job, uh, so you know. Right, because that's when you graduated, right? That is exactly
1: what I graduated into. Wow. And since we're almost the same age, Jason, I would think the same would be, true you, But Later. we both got kind of lucky in in mm-hmm. our post-grad uh experiences um so uh halfway through college when i was starting to do internships my first job was teaching karate which i think i've referred to a few times in passing that was my first paid job i actually I did didn't that know in, that in college no, yeah that. really <laughs> yeah i have a black belt in karate yeah totally didn't
0: know that wow. yeah.
1: yeah i have a black belt that it's, kind of uh, explains the it fighting makes game a lot thing. of sense it does, yeah. And I used to play a lot of fighting games with the other uh, senseis from my dojo. We would uh, play Street Fighter and Soul Calibur so after funny. class. That's funny. That's like playing
2: rock nice. band with yep. the people
0: in your actual band.
1: It <laughs> is. It's very much like that. It's so cool. We were such a cool, cool group of people. <laughs> it's like, um, I like to play
0: Return of the Overdin with the other uh, claims adjusters. Yes, uh, for, for right. sure. sure. 19th century. Yeah, I mean, you can all relate. Clubs.
2: It's feel so like it's some common ground you've got with that game.
1: <laughs> so that was that was my first first job ever in high school, and I continued working it through college. But then I, I was like, well, I guess I have to find a job that will give me any type of experience at all. And so I got an internship at a children's magazine that was just kind of like a smoke and mirrors internship where I wasn't really doing anything. But I liked it enough that I was like, I guess I could do journalism as a job. And then the Boston Phoenix, which was a local newspaper that has since gone out of business, uh, was posting internships along with a whole bunch of other local publications that I applied to for internships in my junior year of college. Um, But the Boston Phoenix had a web intern where video games were listed in the description of things you could cover if you Mm. were a web intern. And that, I at the time, I was reading a lot of video game (laughs) websites, but it had never occurred to me that I could write for one. I But I did... I should admit, dislike a lot of the websites that I read and thought to myself. This
2: was, what year was this about?
1: This would have been like 2006, 2007 era. A lot of really sexist reporting happening in that time period.
0: This was the days of like Kotaku and IGN running the hottest babes list and stuff like that. Yes,
1: of course. And that not even being a question, like oh, yeah. the hottest babes who worked in the games industry, like yeah. real women would be ranked on their physical appearance, like regularly mm-hmm. at IGN and Kotaku and stuff. Um, and I thought that was really disgusting at the time. But I was also like, well, why why couldn't I do that? And so I, I had at least some respect for the Phoenix as a paper, as a very leftist progressive paper. And I was like, that'd be a cool place to work. Uh, whatever they did about video games would be really cool. So I applied. I didn't hear back. At all. And so my parents told me that I should try just going to the office and asking for a job, which <laughs> I'm sure they're listening to this episode. I'm sorry. It's some very boomer advice. It's some very it's <laughs> a very classic. Like, have you tried uh-huh. going there and just seeing if they'll talk to you, honey? Like, uh, Yeah. Try try sending them a fax. Like, I, I don't know. But it worked. I showed up at the office. They were so confused and alarmed that I did this because <laughs> why would anyone do this? And I, uh-huh. I was like, hey, so I applied for an unpaid internship here. I really want to work here and I didn't hear back and that's fine, but I'd like to do an informational interview to find out what I can do to get the internship next year. And they were like, that's not something we do and we can't offer you that. And I was like, okay, I'll just wait. And so I just sat in the front room and just waited and they were like, eventually just sent out one of their editors to talk to me because they were like, I guess this girl isn't going to (laughs) leave. And I gave them my resume and they looked at it and they were like, actually, you know, you have some writing experience. You worked for a children's magazine and none of our other interns have any writing experience (laughs) at all. So, you know, we get so many applications. We didn't actually see this. And, um, They apologized and they were like, we don't have room for you, but do you want to freelance for us? And I'd never done that before. So I wrote a story about cosplay, terrible story. It was not published (laughs) and I sent it to them. And I think at that point they were just like, we should just hire her as an intern because it's unpaid and like who fucking cares and we want her to stop emailing us. And so like, then I got the job that way. Um, And then I did a great job and they hired me on for the next year of another unpaid internship, which can we even call that hiring? No, it was all unpaid labor that I was doing. Had a really bad breakup. So I just started living there, basically. It's
0: amazing looking back at that time in retrospect that like the spots of unpaid internships were so competitive yes like people just competed because i did the same thing in college like unpaid internships but you just battled for spots to be working for free for a company that's what i was doing and this absurd
1: situation where i was working and i was working so many hours by the end like my last year of college I went through a bad breakup. I was really depressed, so I was like, I'm just going to go to the Phoenix like every day. And like mm-hmm. when I wasn't in class, I went to the Phoenix and I was just constantly there and I made myself important and like invaluable to the paper for no money. Like this is not like something I recommend job wise to anyone. <laughs> like it wasn't great and I mean of course I could only afford to do this cuz you know, I my parents were paying for my housing at school and so on and so forth. So like, there's a lot of privilege involved in this story. Mm -hmm. Like I could work an unpaid internship and like not have to work in addition Mm -hmm. to that. Um, but I was rewarded for doing this and I got hired right out of college at the Phoenix. I was, my first start date was the last day of my final exams at BU. So it really lined up perfectly for me. And I worked there until 2013. And closed and I was the last one out the door because by that point I was in charge of the entire web department I had multiple direct reports I was writing cover stories I was I was a reporter and I was managing people and editing people and I was 26 I guess I don't know I didn't know what I was doing at all but I thought (laughs) I did and I was shocked when no one else wanted to hire me in 2013 and um Kind of a brat about it, honestly. But was I wrong? I don't know. Who can say? Who can say? Um, and then I just kind of <laughs> fucked around for a while, Worked, did a bunch of freelance jobs. I worked at MIT for a second, worked at the Mary Sue for a couple years, got hired at Kotaku, worked with the two of you, kind of knew you two before that, but like not super well. It was more just like we were all in the same industry, but I wouldn't say we knew each other at all. Um, guested on your podcast and then for some reason we decided to <laughs> chain ourselves together in a barrel going <laughs> over a waterfall for the rest of eternity. And now I work at Polygon. Uh, so that's my life story.
2: <laughs> I think there is some, I think that's a, an interesting story, especially about how you broke into the Phoenix. Cause there mm-hmm. is some good advice there, I think. Yeah. Like to, to people trying to break in anywhere where there's a lot of people applying, that I do think the advice of find a way to stand out and mm-hmm. don't give up, like, especially in the way that you did it, which I'm, I know you. And so I know you weren't like creepy and weird about it.
1: Right. I wasn't. But I was also like naive about it. I feel like that's what's funny is that I didn't right. understand how strange my behavior actually was like you can you're sort of putting a gloss on it now by being like oh like you didn't give up or like you were brave but at the time I feel like I didn't know enough about how real jobs worked to understand that what I was doing was like absurd but that's that also worked there's a
2: power in that right like I think that a lot of times especially when it comes to rejection people think about rejection as a thing that like they just know they're like, okay, and now I've been rejected. It's happened. Mm-hmm. I've been rejected. It's over. And yeah. when you're younger, when you're first starting out, you do you do have a kind of naivety about it. And I, I did it times too. And I think about like things that I feel really embarrassed about now, where I like just uh-huh. like gave someone a terrible press kit with like that I made <laughs> at home of my music or something that was so mm-hmm. like childish looking and just I would be like, I'm like mortified. But I was doing that because I didn't know any better you know it's like I I think like when you're young you're kind of dumb in a way that is actually gives you a great superpower sometimes Mm -hmm. like if the stars align and everything else it can actually be useful you
0: have to be lucky because I I don't know I remember that's true
1: too the stars have
0: to align yeah of course yeah well I was at Kotaku for eight years and we had at least once that I can remember someone who applied for a job show up at the office and we wouldn't let them in like we were creeped out like we didn't want anything to do with them.
1: I think that was when I told you guys the story about me showing oh. up at the Phoenix <laughs> in Slack. Okay. I told you guys about it. But, like, I don't know. I feel like the differences between doing that in 2019 and doing that in 2007 sure. yeah. are pretty significant. Yeah, but yeah that's true.
0: And in a post Gamergate
1: world, it's different. yeah, post Gamergate, post like journalists being. Derided on the internet, and right. I not to say they weren't in 2007, but it was a very different time. I it mean, was
2: a
0: different. Th- the internet was very.
2: It was a different. little more analog yeah, too. Yeah, Like things in real life were just a little more common. Mm-hmm.
0: To your point, Kirk. Yeah, there's definitely that swagger you have as a kid, and also I think. Um, whenever people ask me for journalism advice, be persistent is one of the big ones that oh, I give yeah. people. Like, I think that your point to not taking no for an answer, and I don't mean that in the wrong way, but I mean that, like, in, in terms of, like, not letting rejection be, like, rejection doesn't mean the door is closed. It just means it's going to be a right. little bit harder to right. get open. And oftentimes, like, like, I was rejected, yeah, I was rejected from Kotaku, like, a few months before I started, um, before I got the job. Like, people, most people have been rejected from things that they loved, and then they wound up doing, or wanted to do, and then they wound up doing it anyway, because rejection doesn't mean the end, it just means not yet, or can mean not yet.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mm-hmm. think about when Kotaku hired Maddie Myers, which I was a small part of, like, I wasn't, I don't think I was deputy editor at the time, but I was there, and had been talking to Stephen for a very long time, being like, we should hire Maddie." Maddie." Maddie Myers, Maddie Myers is good because I'd read your work and knew you were good. And there's kind of a, a I think that this happens a lot where if someone applies for a job in like whatever position doesn't work out, Mm -hmm. a lot of times you'll, especially if you're kind of in the running and you're kind of up there, but then somebody else gets it for whatever reason. It's like, yeah, but we still really would love to hire both people or like Mm -hmm. this person we still kind of want. And they, a lot of people, and this isn't just true in journalism, I think it's true everywhere, will just sort of they'll put your name in a file and it really does mean that maybe down the road it could mm-hmm. turn into something. And um, and it's easy to just tell yourself, well, I didn't get it. Game over. Time to move on or give up on this thing I want to do, yeah. even though that's not always, not always the case.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I sort of glossed over all the various places I worked, but I, I feel like probably the defining attribute of that was that throughout it all, I just still really wanted to do journalism. And there were yeah. some times where, you know, things wouldn't work out or like Compete went out of business and then I managed to stay on at Kotaku, for example. And like in and, and that time I was like, well, it's not the first time I worked somewhere where the, the plug got pulled out and financially. And that's pretty common in journalism too. But I was always like, well, if something like that happens, I'm just going to freelance or I'm going to write or I'll make a Patreon or I'll just like find some other way to make money doing this because I care more about doing this. Than I do about anything else and I've tried to work other jobs and I don't care for them <laughs> so mm-hmm. that yeah. was the other part of it was that I've, I've tried like you know marketing and social media stuff for like very brief stints because I really hated it so mm-hmm. in that sense I'm like well I guess I'm a journalist, so right. yeah, you know what you want. I to think
0: do. so. I, I sent you guys. I don't remember who this was, but I sent you guys a link to a Twitter video that I saw. That was like one of those self-help. Wait, dudes. Jason,
2: you sent us a link to a Twitter video?
0: I know. I, did, <laughs> right? I can't imagine <laughs> that. You were really upset because you're like, I hate Twitter. Did you
2: just drop it into our chat with no explanation for what it was? Just a Twitter link? I can't imagine um, you ever doing that.
1: I watched it. I. It's funny. I'm glad you. brought this up Because I disagree with it, and I want us to debate it now. Oh now yeah, let's we'll do I it. Wanna, I
2: want to. I had mixed feelings about it, but maybe mm-hmm. you can. It. but Yeah, Jesus.
0: I, I still haven't said what it is. You guys are already disagreeing, Please. and I haven't even said what it <laughs> is. Yet. Standard. It's, tripl- it's, it's after hours. We do things out it's of order. It's basically this guy saying it's this guy saying like don't a lot of people talk about passion and it's such a like disingenuous Mm -hmm. word and it's like you don't go out and do what you're passionate about you'll find your passion if you go out and do what you're good at and finding what you're good at is a lot more important than finding what you're passionate at people who who are really good accountants might not have been passionate about accounting growing up but like they got into it and now they find passion where they can and I think that's good advice in general for like being happy with your career is to like find what you're really good at and like that kind of goes along with one of the other pieces of advice that I give people when they ask me how do I get into games journalism or whatever is um figure like specialize and make yourself like an indispensable thing and indispensable at doing a specific thing to the point mm-hmm. where like people rely on you for that thing and I think that's like part of of being happy and satisfied with what you do so you guys disagree with that
1: well, I, I think the de-emphasis on passion, I understood why he was making that point and was emphasizing more the idea of find something you're good at and specialize in it, which I which I agree is good advice. But at least for me personally, I have to also enjoy the thing. It can't just be that I'm good at it. Because there are things that I'm good at that I don't like and don't want to do mm. for a living. You know what I mean? And even sure. if they would pay well, doesn't matter to me because I that's... Just the fact that I'm good at it and could specialize in it doesn't mean I could do it for a living. I, I needed to find the intersection of both I like this thing and I'm good at it in order to find the right job and career path for me personally. But
0: Maddie, you are you are a rare polymath who is good at everything. Uh, as <laughs> that is not to, true. No, that, <laughs> but I think, <laughs> I think most, I don't know. I think a lot of people are just good at like have one specific talent or one specific aptitude that they have. And I think that finding that true. is more important than like, like even though you might be good at a few things, like you're particularly good at a couple of things or one thing. And like, I think finding mm-hmm. that, or at least like, even if, My philosophy is like, even if you don't necessarily pursue that as a career, like even knowing like, okay, this is one thing I'm really good at and finding a way to apply that to other parts of your life or like in some form, like I think all that is just so much more important than like, this is what I really am passionate about. Like I love video games, so I want to work in the video game industry. No, if you're really good at art, then you want to work in games. If you're really good at writing and reporting, then you want to work in games journalism, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I let me actually I can segue into my story because this yeah, sort I. of relates to it. Um and it's a thing that I always uh, sort of right, that I built a lot of my approach to my professional career on that I called the bag theory that <laughs> is sort of a different take on this whole passion skill thing. I think that like I liked that in a way, like I like the idea of doing what you're good at and that you find a passion for the things that you're skilled at. I think that thinking in terms of your skills is Good, and that don't like go for your passions. It's just like like what does that really mean? I think I struggled with that part of it. Is that it's just sort of like a little bit of a vague term, like follow your passions. Okay, like that's bad advice, I guess it is. What does that even mean? Where if go mm-hmm. for your strengths is like very concrete advice that is good advice. Um, okay, so the bag theory was something that a famous jazz saxophonist named David Liebman told me when I was in high school. And um, when I was in high school, I was really into playing jazz saxophone. I went to a public school in Southern Indiana that was not a very good school, but it had a very good band program, which we were just like lucky. Like uh, a lot of the parents, like helped support it. The marching band did lots of fundraisers and raised money. Um, So the school was like not great. I I am more aware of that now than I used to be. (laughs) Like um, my partner Emily also went to the same high school, and we talk about it sometimes. And realize that, like, oh, we kind of went to a crappy high school in a lot of ways. Like I had a really, but I had a really good English teacher and a really good band director, which I guess is not Lucky. a huge shock. And I actually think that that whole passion um, versus skill thing relates to education in a way that is also that he wasn't really talking about, where, like, if you're young enough, you can learn to be good at the things you're passionate about. Because, like, for me, I was, like, passionate about music from when I was, like, six, and then just had enough good teachers over the years that taught me music that I became good at music. And then it was like, there was the great confluence. Like that's kind of the best case scenario. So anyways, I was driving this guy to the airport, David Liebman. And um, he is like a like a jazz like minor legend he's a he played with like Miles Davis and shit he's like an amazing tenor saxophone player oh, wow. but he's not John Coltrane but he's like anyone who knows jazz knows Dave Liebman he's incredible really like this older guy he's kind of a pirate he's like a jazz pirate he's like ah <laughs> like really just this like weather beaten old fucking dude who's Parrot, like seen it I all patch. oh yeah <laughs> like, like he like the first thing he said to me he's like in our band room and he gets out this wood flute that he just has like rolled up in his pant leg and he like plays some bebop shit on it <laughs> and then he's like he's like always bring a flute wherever you go they're easy to carry you never know when you'll need one bring a flute i was like okay and i still remember that i mean that was like whatever
0: 20 odd years ago so you bring a fl- you still bring a flute everywhere you go right uh i don't i guess so yeah they are easy to carry <laughs> you just remember
1: like, it you don't you don't need yeah to do i
0: should get like a
2: little wood flute like that but um i do remember the advice you
0: should you should get a penny whistle you should carry around I a penny one. whistle. i have one have two. no I mean you should just carry it with you anywhere right. you go just whip it
2: out and like <laughs> yeah, play a yeah. jig yeah. Um, that is a, that would be a kind of a good thing to do. If I ever went anywhere, I would I would maybe do that.
1: Well, eventually you will. <laughs> That's true.
2: Um, so I was driving him to the airport because like he was the guest at our jazz festival that year that my high school hosted, and like the whatever hot shit jazz senior always gets to drive the guest artist to the to the airport. And I was like the hot shit jazz saxophone senior, so I drove him to the airport. And I didn't know what we were going to talk about, and I was super intimidated. And I'm like driving, you know, I'm whatever 18 and like driving this ancient jazz pirate to the airport, and he. He starts talking like halfway through. He's a really good writer and he writes these amazing books like Self Portrait of a Jazz Artist is one of his books. It's a super interesting book about like the craft and the art. He, he does like really conceptual shit. He has an album called like The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner where it's like he's a soprano sax player and tenor, but he's playing soprano and he's doing all this weird avant-garde shit. And it's like a concept album about long distance running where he's like channeling the mindset that you go through as you run like a marathon. And so he's like, a, he's a really in, like cerebral guy. And I kind of yeah. asked him, I was like, I really like to write. Cause I always liked to write. I like would publish newsletters for my friends and shit, but I, I, I didn't see it as a compatible thing with music. So I was like, um, what's the deal with your writing? Like you write these books and you also play jazz. So like, how do you see those together? And he's like, well, man, he's like, whatever you're good at, you take that and you put it in your bag. And, you know, cats will be like, that's my bag or that's not my bag, which is all, this is all like jazz lingo. And he said he sounded a lot cooler than I do. But he's like, you put it in your bag and whatever you're good at, that goes in your bag. So he's like, say you're really good at doubling, like you're good at flute and clarinet. Okay, well, you put that in your bag. Or you're like really good with computers and technology. Well, you put that in your bag. And then all that stuff kind of mixes together and becomes the sort of, you know what you what you do like they all kind of make the other things better and everything mixes together in your bag until you've kind of got your own identity as an artist and as a sort of creator and I like thought that was great and then I told my dad and my dad was like that's the greatest thing he's like you need to remember that that advice like is epic I like wrote my college (laughs) entrance essay about it and shit and like I feel like he probably said something like he probably s- didn't even say that. Like I was like at this point of <laughs> like made you, up. Yeah. Mythologized over- like, it fully. Else. Yeah.
0: Well, that's the perfect. Kirk, you just described the perfect college entrance. essay.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 So this yeah. was
2: that was my college entrance essay. And it's been something that I've actually lived my life according to. So
1: I would say that's true. As someone who knows you.
2: <laughs> it, it it worked out, or at least it worked for me to approach things that way. And it did help me early on reconcile the idea that I loved writing and I loved music. And I always have liked the two things. I never thought I'd be a journalist. I never I did some journalism, but I just never I don't think I'm a very good journalist. But I think I'm an okay writer and I think I'm an okay musician, and those two things like work well together. Um so I went to music school. That was my entrance essay for the University of Miami in uh, Miami, Florida. Not the one in Ohio. Though I grew up in Indiana, so a lot of people would be understandably confused Mm -hmm. and ask. Um, I studied jazz saxophone performance there. They've got a great jazz program. It was really, really friggin' intense. Um, It's just one of those things like you come in and it's... Everybody there was the best player at their high school, and especially mm-hmm. a lot of them are from the East Coast. It's like a whole Midwest jazz ed scene, but there's an East Coast jazz ed scene, and it's... Hardcore. Like there are some kids who are fucking good. And it was my it's so it's my first time experiencing like not being the best. You know, you come in and you're dog shit really as a freshman. Like sophomores and juniors are so much better than you because they've just been practicing like twelve hours a day and taking lessons with all these amazing teachers for years. So you know, you're gonna be that good, but you're not. So that Mm -hmm. was tough. It was really good for my ego and for like
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people have that experience where it's like you're the best, you're the big fish in a small pond and suddenly you move. To, to a bigger mm-hmm.
2: fund Yeah Yeah Which yeah. is great And like I, I think that was where I really learned that Especially in music Like You always want to be The worst guy in the band Which I managed to do A few times through school And I miss it Dearly, like after school and then being a professional saxophone player, it's so hard. Sometimes you do get hired on a gig where you're like, oh my God, like I shouldn't be here, like and you really sweat it and it's tough. And it's good because it kicks your ass and takes you back there. But there's nothing better than being like second tenor in the like band that you're not really supposed to be in, and you're like so intimidated and practicing like until one in the morning every night to just do basic shit. Um, but anyway, so that was great. It was a really great program. It kind of messed me up. I was pretty like depressed by the end just because. I don't know like music school is is fucks with you like art school messes with you 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 don't you get really good at whatever the thing is you're doing like they teach you all the skills so like I got good at jazz saxophone and music but then you also kind of start to think you're not good like you think you're bad cuz everyone's so good and like there's so much of a like you're just surrounded by people who are like really good at this thing. And you start to just wonder like, what is, what am I doing? Like, what's my voice? What makes me different? Like, why, why do I even like doing this? So that was sort Hmm. of challenging.
0: Are the teachers like JK Simmons and whiplash?
2: (laughs) No, I have so many thoughts on that movie. I did a whole podcast about that movie. Uh, I guessed it on a because t- I only recently watched it. Yeah. I that movie has some stuff that's right. Like it, it is, it feels, some of the vibe stuff feels right, but it's like nonsense. The way that he acts is total nonsense. None of that would ever happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, that movie has some serious fucking problems. I hate also that movie's message about like art and suffering and how like whatever fuck with, have you, have you both seen Whiplash? I fuck haven't that
1: because of the reasons you're describing. Yeah. Kirk. It's
2: don't, you you'd hate it. I know it.
1: other musicians who watched it and
2: I was yeah. like, yeah, I'm good on this. It's bullshit. Um, J.K. Simmons is a great actor but it's a bullshit movie anyways uh no it wasn't really like that but in some there were times I had a teacher who was like really tough uh Vince Maggio my uh freshman uh improv teacher was like that he was in that mold but it you you know he was it was like there were just it wasn't really quite like that um so anyways when I graduated and everyone else went to New York and I was like I don't want to go to New York I was super vibed out um and I went to San Francisco instead because my sister lived there and she was like you know you can just Move to San Francisco and like live here, and it's really great, like it's a cool city. So, this was in like 2003, yeah. So, this is before yes. it, yeah. the rent was all exploded.
0: Was cool. and, Well, yeah. no,
2: the rent was still very expensive, but it was oh, it you was. could go okay. there and be a jazz saxophonist, you know, teaching part time and live with four people in like a Florida house in the inner sunset, um, or an apartment in the inner sunset. Uh, but but it was still pretty expensive, it was like post dot com boom, but like <laughs> just at the beginning of like. You know, Facebook wouldn't go, wouldn't become a public site for three more years. Like it was like social Mm -hmm. media hadn't happened. Apps weren't happening because the iPhone wasn't out yet. So it's kind of an interesting time. To be in San Francisco. There was like a really thriving jazz scene and like a lot of the guys, like the jazz mafia guys and stuff, all still lived in the mission. There was kind of like a lot of cool jazz in the mission. It was cool. Like it was a cool place to be. Moved there, worked at a law firm that my sister was working at. She was like a paralegal and I got a job as just like a file clerk for a year. It was like my only straight job was like being <laughs> a file clerk. And God, um I guess this is after hours, right? So we're just shooting the shit. I'm just I don't wanna I don't wanna go on digressions about things, but it was fun. I remember that job was like, I really liked it. I never, I was like, this is not what I'm going to do with my life. It was just sort
1: but of. But it was satisfying, probably? Yeah.
0: Did, did you like the monotony of it? Like, was there
1: something yeah, yeah. comforting to the it? The
2: stability. It was the first time I'd ever had a paycheck like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I taught lessons and all through school. you loved the paycheck. <laughs> it was really nice. Um, yeah, so like in school in Miami, I was like playing gigs. I Oh, I. Here's the story. I played a gig at a club on South Beach three nights a week where I would get up on the bar and play saxophone in a shiny shirt. And um, I would like dance on the bar. It was like it was a, a club called Touch. It was like a restaurant slash club. This is
1: like Coyote Ugly, Kirk Hamilton edition. It was.
2: Yep, <laughs> fully. And um, wait, I'll tell. I'll tell some more stories. Wait about this.
0: Uh, I and then you had to take the shirt off, and then
1: of course, I never of took course. my
2: shirt off, but it was fairly objectifying. Like um, I mean, there were also so the thing was there would be a DJ and there's a stage and there's like a percussion player. The percussion players were heavy dudes. Like Bobby Sanabrio played percussion for a while. This other guy I'm trying to remember his name who played in Weather Report. It was like because it was a good paying gig, and so guys would just you would just play conga drums for like four hours, and I mean it was like house music, so you didn't have to yeah. do anything. And then you just get paid. And then they'd have rotating acts. So there would be like dancers, like belly dancers who'd go up. There was a fire act that would come in and they would do like fire shit on stage. It was really cool. Mm -hmm. And then I was like the sax player, which I was like less exciting than the other people, but I just would be up there playing sax. One time I I was propositioned a few times in really weird and creepy ways. And Mm -hmm. um, then sometimes they'd be like, you got to get up on the bar, man. I'd be like, fine. And I'd get on the bar and like play bullshit blues licks. So anyways, um, (laughs) after that kind of work, irregular gigging and private lessons and stuff, which was like made okay money, but like not much. Having a paycheck and like just, You know, benefits and sort of a a routine where I just went in Uh in the morning and just sat there and filed things. It was kind of nice. I listened to a lot of music Mm -hmm. on my headphones. Mm -hmm. I overhauled their like filing system and the lawyers all hated it. Yeah.
0: I mean, I bet a lot of people out there listen to our show while doing like those sort of monotonous jobs. And yeah, they can be super, super soothing. And yeah. Oh, if
2: there had been podcasts to listen to, I would have, Mm I would have listened to so many podcasts. Yes.
1: Yeah. This was pre podcast. So it was definitely when I was listening
2: to a lot of music. And it was when I was like, I want to learn to sing and play guitar and like learn other instruments in the saxophone. I want to like write songs and like make music in that way. Like I was discovering all these bands and getting really like excited, like, Oh man, I want to have a band. Like I want to do that. So mm-hmm. then, um, I'll accelerate, uh, through like 2003 to 2007 or eight. I was uh, I left that job. I started teaching for a long time. I was an assistant jazz director at the Urban School of San Francisco, a wonderful private school. Well,
0: at this point, Kirk, at this point, did you have like a long term plan or goal? Like, were you like, I want to make no movie, I want to make money performing music or something like that?
2: I didn't really have a plan. Um, I was it was the bag theory. It was more just like I'm going right. to do stuff and like find things that I like to do. And and doing well enough to like get paid to do them and sort of let them mix together. I knew I knew I didn't want to tour. Like I didn't want to just join a band and tour. I knew a lot mm-hmm. of my friends were. I mean, I was friends with a lot of musicians. Everyone was touring. It just that I was like, seems like, like a nightmare.
0: It seems like such a terrible. Yeah, life. it just
2: I was. like It's not my thing. Some people love it, like or at yeah. least
1: some people are built for it. I think to mm-hmm. have that yeah. personality. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So and I just I, uh, my friend Lindsay, a great singer who sang on my on my first album. Um, She was in this band, Or The Whale, that toured, like, they did their own... They were like kind of alt country thing. They did really well. Like they were a pretty big local group, and they toured all over the country. Organized their own tours, and it sounded like a mess. I was like, I don't want (laughs) to sleep in a van, and then like randomly sleep in somebody's floor, and like Mm -hmm. have to be in the same gross space with the same people that I'm getting increasingly sick of for like a month. Like it just that sounded shitty. So I didn't want to tour. So I was kind of figuring out things I didn't want to do musically, but I didn't really know what I did want to do. And then I really liked teaching. So I loved band directing. I, it was this great school. The urban school is this like really wealthy private school in fucking San Francisco. So it's like they've got everything. It was like the first school to have every kid have a laptop, like so much wow. money and resources. It's just wild. The class sizes are tiny. I And you don't have to have a teaching certificate or anything to teach there because it's a private school. So I just sort of answered a I think I was like I went, I was going around trying to get private students, and the band director there, Scott, was like, "Hey, man, you want to be my assistant next year?" And I was like, "Sure." And then we just sort of built <laughs> it up from there. And eventually, I had like a whole big band that was really kind of ripping, and we we really built the program up. And um, at around two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, I discovered the sort of video game blogosphere. And this was when I was uh, in a rock band playing, and like I, I think I just released, or I was getting ready to release my solo album, which that came out in two thousand nine. Um, and so I was like working on music and teaching, but then I discovered like it was um, insult sword fighting. Mitch Karpata's blog,
1: yeah, at the Phoenix. At the yeah, he author. was. That's right,
2: he was a Phoenix guy, and it was because mm-hmm. I read the Slate um, Game Club. Yeah. And N-Guy Kroll linked yeah. to Mitch Karpata's blog. This was like blog. the golden era of yeah. Brainy Sphere, as yeah, it was the called. Like, the Brainy Sphere. Video game blogging. So I read... I don't even remember what it was now. But I just remember seeing that there was a blog just a blogger blog really no formatting called insult sword fighting and i was like captain america i get that reference i was like i get that <laughs> i love that game and then i read it, and mitch is a really smart guy and he was like writing like smart thoughtful just kind of bloggy stuff about video games and mm-hmm. i was like what the fuck is this cuz like i i had quit playing video games i played games all up until you know, I guess until I graduated and then I sold my gaming PC and got rid of all my games. I was like, I need to like learn guitar. I've got all this shit to do. I don't have time to play games. But then I got an Xbox 360 in like 2007 at the same time I was discovering these writers sort of found all that stuff and was like, this is really cool. And I think I could do this. I was like, this is like, I like to write. I've been like writing my own blog, but it doesn't have a focus and no one reads it. Nobody cares. Like what if I wrote about video games? So then I started getting in the comments on that, and then like I don't know, like Nels Anderson's blog and Steve Gainer's blog, um, uh-huh. Fulbright, and uh, I don't even remember what Nels's was called, the Brainy, the Brainy Gamer. I would listen to mm-hmm. Michael Abbott. Lee this
1: Alexander is... had sexy video game land. Oh I god. mean, it was just again. Lee was like
2: the coolest. Lee was like I was like oh my god, I'll never be friends with Lee. And Chris
1: Dolan. I mean, this um, was pre Kill Screen, but like you know, Chris yep. Dolan was out there blogging, yep. blogging it up. I mean, these were all the things I was reading at the same time as you. Not that we. We knew each other, but you right. mm-hmm. we were reading the same stuff.
0: Yeah, me too. It was
2: really <laughs> inspiring. And I remember listening to the, I remember when they launched Kill Killstre- Screen, and it was when I was like kind of first starting to go to GDC and just being like, I think this is so interesting. I didn't know anything about, you know, anything. I didn't know what I really wanted to do with it. I just knew that this was fun, like writing these really nerdy, critical takes on games. So I, I started doing that. I um, started a gaming blog called Gamer Melodico with three friends. That uh, was sort of like practicing being an editor. It was a very like it was the kind of thing I would do in high school, but like I was just doing it again, and we were just doing it for fun. I was teaching part time and like making enough money. I was like to be able to just do this thing for fun, and then I kind of got to know all those people slowly over time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which I guess it started. Jason Killingsworth at Pace like gave me a thing to write a freelance review for him at Pace, and I kind of like got to know him. Then he left to go to Edge, and like gave I got the. Like online, it, like it was, they were kind of shifting to online, and I became the games editor at Pace. So suddenly I was doing that, and that was for like no money. It was basically an unpaid job, but uh-huh. it was a title at a known publication. So it was, and sort it of, looked
1: like a real job, right? That was mm-hmm. always the benefit of that title. Yeah, was, of thing. which
2: was, I did leverage that into pretty quickly into the Kotaku thing. So then and I guess this,
1: this
0: was when Kirk and I met each other on Twitter, right. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, that's right, because I was at Paste, so In like 2009 or something like that. At the
2: same time, like right before the Paste thing, Kotaku republished me, which is something they used to do. I don't know if they I think they still do it sometimes. But it Rarely. was like I had written something on Gamer Melodico. It was like a mass affect, hipster mm. humor piece. It was dumb. It was very mm-hmm. like, but whatever. It was like I, I, I wrote it and sent it out. I think I sent it to Lee. I emailed it to her. I didn't know Lee at all at the time, and I was just <laughs> like, "Hey, like this thing's about hipsters." You'll, you, she like lived in Brooklyn and was this total like. I thought of. I was like, "Oh, she knows all these hipsters and makes talks about hipsters on Twitter, so she'll think this is funny." And she retweeted it, and then like I think Crescenti saw it, Brian Crescenti, and like was mm-hmm. like, "We want to republish you." So I got republished on Kotaku, and it was like really exciting. I was like, "Holy oh, shit!" Yeah. Like all these people are reading this thing I wrote. Like this is so cool. Like, and then I got republished a couple of other times. The way I got the Kotaku job was actually. Um, Stephen Totillo, who at the time was deputy under Brian Crescenti, he, he mm-hmm. like emailed me, it was about an Inception article that I wrote. I wrote an article about Inception and game design mm-hmm. and how like, I didn't like Inception. I was wrong. Um, I like Inception now, but I didn't at the time. <laughs> and I was like, I don't like Inception, blah, 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 whatever. And then I sent it to him and I was like, do you want to republish this? And he was like, well, actually we have our own thing coming on Inception. So, you know. No thanks. And I was like, oh, okay. And so then I think he actually wrote the thing. He published a thing on Inception. That was fine. It was like a movie review for Kotaku.
1: He wrote that it was good. And you were like, oh, I see. Well, my thing <laughs> did
2: pretty well, though. Like, people were talking about my thing. And then he read it. And a few days later, he was like, actually we would like to republish that. And I was like, okay, but the next time you republish something of mine, you have to pay me. Mm. And he was like, mm, okay, Leverage. well, we can talk
0: about that anyways. That's why, by <laughs> the way, that's why Kotaka's pretty much stopped republishing yeah, people I because, think because it's, it's oh, well, unethical yeah, to do it without paying people. Well, uh, I don't know about that. I think if, if people... It raises ethical questions.
1: Well, it's it's weird if it's already like a paid piece somewhere else. Like if it's a piece... No, no, no. no. Right?
0: Kotaku would only republish like blogs, like personal blogs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not sure, like sure. paid... Polygon pieces or Yeah something I don't like know that. I, that's a, So it raises sort of a, ethical questions I'll leave it at it
2: that It does Like I didn't care at all Like I was seeking out Republication And I know other people That we've republished Felt that way too It's like really exciting To get your work out there
0: Yeah the but, same way That Maddie and I Used to seek out Unpaid internships it Yeah right <laughs> Just because it's exciting Doesn't mean it's, un, it's No there is an exploitative Quality to it
2: So yeah, anyways yeah, yeah. It, He That just I think I don't know Like whether that made An impression or I've never really Asked asked him about that He probably remembers It differently I'm
0: sure he did I'm Knowing Steven I'm sure it's like the, Stuck with it him and he was like, wow, I'm really impressed. Oh,
1: he remembers every beat That's of that too. story. And yeah, he probably definitely. would tell it back to you in like crystal clear detail. right and it
2: would be like not what i remember at all so you know i anyways i was at pace for a kind of brief period of time that was like so lee and i became friends over this period of time that's when we did the final fantasy letters i was like mm-hmm. getting to know everybody i was like having you know hanging out with people at gdc it was so cool like i could go talk to chris Dolan and like we sure. knew we knew each other and michael abbott and it was like this wonderful thing of seeing all these people from the outside and then getting to actually know them it felt like a dream come true and also like The jazz world was never online and I never felt like they were my people in that way because my Mm -hmm. generation of jazz musicians were mostly not internet savvy the way that the like – even your people like a little younger than me, like people around your two's age who are jazz musicians are like on YouTube and doing all this Mm -hmm. cool shit online. But players my age are not – As often. So I always kind of felt like that alienated from that part of the jazz world. So when I found that in video games, I was like, yes, like this is what I want is like all these nerds that I can nerd out with. So then, um, you know, that led to Kotaku uh, uh, a little bit after Pace, started as like an editor under Joel Johnson, but I didn't really act like an editor for a while. And then just did that job for a long ass time until I got sick of it and was basically like, this is taking up too much of my time. And, and I want to make music again. And so then I mm-hmm. sort of, you know, I've wrote about this at length in my goodbye post at Kotaku and have talked about it. So it was sort of like, I'm going to go do my own thing and see how that goes. Um, at some point, Jason and I had started uh, split screen. And I think when I left, yeah, Maddie, you were already uh, oh, yeah. members yeah, yeah, when yeah, I left yeah. Kotaku sure. So For then the like three years. of us. No, no,
0: it was. No, 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 no. You guys did it, it at the same time. Was it just the two time. of us? No, no, no. Yeah, at the same time. Your leaving Kentucky was simultaneous. Oh, with yeah, Maddie that's right. Yes,
2: that is oh, correct. 2018. Huh. Yeah. No, I remember okay. because, so yep, yep, Maddie, yep.
0: you might not know this, but Kirk and I, we had a long lunch, I think it was earlier that year in 2018, mm-hmm. where we were talking about the future and you were like, I'm probably going to leave soon. I was like, let's keep doing split screen. And we both kind of simultaneously were like, we should add Maddie to split screen. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. We tested you out a few more times and then we're like, yeah, you, you got to come aboard.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, so then um the rest is history. Or the the rest is recent enough history that everybody probably knows it.
1: Well,
0: do you want to well, do you want to tell people like obviously everyone knows you're doing triple click and strong songs. Do you want to give people more an idea of like what else you're up to? You've been up to recently?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm doing a lot of music stuff right now. I, I spent last year this I'll get into this maybe a little bit when we talk about our um, well, resolutions. You know, our, our resolutions, yeah, the a little, future. Or just like work habit stuff. Yeah, I'm making a lot more music this year. I've been doing some freelance stuff for various people, writing whatever podcast themes for them and stuff. But I'm really working on a few uh cool projects. I'm doing a video game cover right now that I'm going to put out pretty soon. It's going to be nice. pretty cool. But I've got like an album that I'm going to make and it might even be more than one. Like it might be a whole thing cuz I've haven't put out an album since 2009 and I really want to do that now. Like Strong Songs is pretty leveled off. Like I know what I need to do to do that show and it takes a lot of work, but I can do it at the same time as I'm doing music and then doing this. And those are kind of my three focuses right now. And Mm -hmm. that's my goal for this year is like, I'm really like, I have a whole process worked out where I'm like recording stuff and working in the studio and really like have this whole home studio, like really set to where I can make everything I want to make. And uh, that's, that's kind of the plan. So I'll have an album for sale pretty soon i think
0: like yeah. this year oh, i think it's safe awesome. to say wow. Yeah, that's, oh, exciting. that's exciting you better plug it, it on the show oh i i definitely will <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> i'll be shameless about it good, for sure good, good.
2: okay good all right jason um, i want to hear your yeah, story jason. you guys want to hear my story yes okay.
1: yes
0: let me start from the beginning. So when I was five years old, no. Um, <laughs> so I always I always wanted to be a writer growing up. Like even as a tiny kid, I would be reading constantly and like scribbling in notebooks and writing like fan fiction about Final Fantasy characters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah. But I didn't really discover journalism until I got to high school and then I joined my high school paper, which was fun. And putting together a paper every couple of months was just like an exhilarating experience, like getting to see the layout yeah. and like see your name in print. It was just so much fun. And I was like addicted to it. Um, and then I had a traumatizing experience. I don't know if I've ever told this story publicly. Maybe I have. I, I might think have told t- you, I, Kirk. I think you've told me, but I don't know if you've told it on the show. Don't think I, I, I know, know it. it. I want to rehear it. I don't know if I've told it. Probably. Okay, so this was my senior year of high school. So um, I had been angling for the editor-in-chief job of the newspaper, and I had got it over this other girl who was also super talented and awesome and, like, a great editor. But I got it because the guy in charge, our teacher who was running the, the uh, newspaper, recognized that I would devote absolutely everything to the newspaper at the expense of, like, homework and whatever else. Because I, I wasn't, like, a an NA student. I was, like, a tra- half-ass everything <laughs> and like get Unless decent cared grades about anyway yeah. yeah no even the stuff I cared about I was, just, like, I was well you l- weren't so... half-assing
1: the paper though is my point like you oh, yeah, decided yeah, yeah. to care no, about But the that paper. was in school
0: I mean academics part of it not the paper <laughs> <Right>. I <laughs> would just have us everything like even in English I was so anti-authority I was like a punk kid I would go to punk shows I was like so anti-authority that like if a, an English teacher assigned a book even if I wanted to read it anyway I still wouldn't read it because it was like wow. I can't I can't do anything if an English, English teacher says it luckily oh I did God. well on my SATs, so I got into a good school but that's aside from the point anyway so I was the editor-in-chief of my <laughs> high school newspaper and my senior year it was like all I live for I was like so excited so happy like working with this team it was awesome um okay <laughs> At the same time, I'm like not, like I said, I'm kind of a half-assing things in school, kind of like class clown-ish, like fucked around a lot. A little bit of context here. So I went to an all-Jewish private school for my entire life. Um, so our class was roughly 50 people. Very small class. Oh, the other part of this is that we were the first graduating class of our high school. Our high school opened our year, so every single year we were the oldest kids in the class, and so the the teachers had never like it was all everything was brand new to everyone. Right. So we got away Oof. with all sorts of shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, like it was it was almost a joke. Like nothing we, we did at like the way we spoke to teachers would never like swing at any other school in any other context. Was
2: this like a was this a first name basis kind of a school? It was a, no no
0: it it wasn't. But like it was uh, everybody makes fun of like uh, the teachers' dating lives. Okay. Wow. Like it was like Yikes. really intense. but like it was all I, I don't know, maybe the teachers the teachers were probably bitter about it, but like it was it was it was wild. It was chaotic. It was very crazy. <laughs> Um, anyway with all that in mind so I have this blog I had like a live journal where I wrote about like whatever and it was like angsty teenage shit sometimes I would write like oh just smoke pot and like oh my god did this like I would write about shit like that like just drove around blah 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 mm-hmm. um, and my icon was the picture of this teacher who I thought who had a really good mustache and we all loved his mustache and so we obsessed over it and so that was my icon so anyway I get into high school one day this is like a month after into my senior year after I'm on the high school paper Uh, At month into being an editor in chief on the high school paper, get into school. I'm called in the principal's office. The principal is sitting there with the teacher, who's our newspaper guy, and in (laughs) front of them printed out our pages from my blog, from my live journal. Uh... And they're like, "Do you you recognize this?" And I'm like, "Yeah, this is my live journal." And they're like, "This is a problem." And it turns out that the the part of it that they were upset about was that I used this teacher's picture as my avatar. And they were they were like, we can't have this teacher like next to all this stuff about drugs, blah blah blah. And so the principal, who was this vindictive guy who like hated me for various reasons. For
1: no reason. There's I'm sure no none of them were justified. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he hated me, the, the principal. Um uh-huh. <laughs> some, of, some of my best friends today are like kids from that high school class. It was it was ridiculous times. We yeah, all, like, I met some of them at your wedding. Really bonded. Yeah, you met a few of my yeah, good, so was Maddie folks. at my Super Bowl party. You met mm-hmm. a few of my high school friends. Um so the principal says, As your punishment, I'm going to take away the thing you love most and he removes me from the high school paper. And it was oh, so traumatizing that like it sad. made me it made me not want to do journalism anymore. Like it was Maybe so traumatizing for me as a kid and like to this day i'm still like revenge for that is still guiding my career i'm gonna,
2: to I'm gonna totally <laughs> criticize your principal i think that's a terrible way to punish a kid oh yeah it, it is. is no no it no. Is. don't get
0: me wrong I, even to that like like my parents are like this is unfair like everybody recognized how unfair it's it was
2: bullshit like go after the one thing the kid likes come exactly. on exactly like, it's that... like
0: you you want to be like pushing a kid towards his passion and like yeah. helping letting that elevate everything else you don't want to take that away this guy he was a bad principal i should say that yeah, like that is was,
2: that's a Mm -hmm. bad call
0: he was like very much he gave he was played favorites with kids and like he was a very terrible guy but anyway, so that was his punishment to me. And it, like, traumatized me. Um, so I went to college. I went to NYU. And I went to the school called Galladin, That's, like, individualized study. But, like, basically, I kind of gave up on my dreams of journalism. When I was in uh, college, I studied a lot of film stuff and, like, thought about doing film, thought about moving out to Hollywood and, like, doing some sort being a producer or something like that, being a screenwriter. Because, again, I still knew I wanted to be a writer for a living. But I was like, journalism, you know what? I'm I'm studying. Yeah, fuck from that. this. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in college, I went, I started doing stuff for our college college paper Washington Square News at NYU and that was really fun I got to interview like Natalie Portman who was my teenage crush so that was oh. really cool <laughs> um and stuff like that and then I started getting back into it and then after college I was like okay what do I want to do in my life I had done a bunch of random internships I entered at The Onion I interned at MTV, all these, all this random shit. And I had a bunch of other random jobs along the way, like retail jobs and other various shit, um, summer camp counselors and stuff like that. And I was like, what do I want to do with my life? I moved back in with my parents after school and I start doing freelance journalism and being like, why don't I try this and try to write a screenplay and see what happens. And so I'm doing freelance journalism and, uh, it's like local journalism. I was working for like local outlets and stuff like that and uh i was i remember i was in this uh this government local government meeting. It was like a zoning board meeting. And the people up front were like arguing over whether a fence should be allowed to be 20 feet or 30 feet. <laughs> and I'm like looking around and I'm like, my God, like is this what I want to do with my with my life? Um, and around the same time I started noticing some of the same stuff you were noticing, Kirk, like the, the brainy sphere. Because I was always into games. I'd written even for a couple of gaming sites before that. And so I started thinking maybe I should try to freelance in games and like get in that way. And I remember um, I went went to a panel at NYU uh, in like 2010 that was like Stephen Totillo and Lee Alexander and I think mm-hmm. Jamin from Kill Screen because that was just starting and they were talking about journalism and I was so excited to be there obviously that like, New York like <laughs> game critic
2: scene especially then was yeah. very exciting yeah
0: yeah, it was cool and I remember meeting with a lot of people over the course of like the next couple of years like John Tady and like just a lot of other people who were really exciting and Guy and like other people who were ex- exciting in the scene um, and yeah eventually just like started freelancing um, and then that fall, um, I found out that Wired was looking for like a contributing writer because uh, Gus Mastrapa who'd been doing it was leaving and so I applied and uh, Chris Kohler wound up picking me and hiring me from all the applicants which was basically my foot in the door like the break that I needed and I remember recognizing it then I was like holy shit like this is it I think that that I can do it now and then I started freelancing more and more for like joystick and stuff like that and and I remember I had this gig didn't you freelance yes. for, for well, me? Pace was, Pace was my, favorite, my first paid gig in two thousand nine, um, right, right, under Jason Killingsworth, also who gave me uh, a couple of reviews for them. Shout out and to Jason, I, that Jason, the other Jason. You and I watched <laughs> the Wizard and and uh, and wrote about it for Paste or did Great that ever movie. publish? I don't remember. I, I
2: don't know if I ever published that. I've got yeah, the draft. I've actually published. It was uh, um, it was good.
1: We should put it up. Rare. Oh flights. man b-side jason and yeah her. if i
2: didn't publish it it was because because <laughs> it was bad it was so good it was because it was so good it couldn't it be published so uh-huh. no
0: it was it was like we watched this movie and talked it It was like us and sarah amala yeah, like in chat i think
2: we were just and we weren't talking we were like writing into chat yeah we, we were writing
0: it. anyway so I remember at this point, I also the wire gig was like nothing. It was like five hundred dollars a month. It was like I was living in New York City like you cannot live on that. I remember I got this gig um, for Patch. Do you guys remember Patch, uh, the, yep. the hyper local journalism site? Yeah, um, no. it still, still exists, around. I think. Yeah, yeah. it's still <laughs> around. It was bought by AOL at one point. Anyway, so they had this gig uh, as a copy editor and you would have to they would you would Get all these submissions of like retail listings all across the, the country, and you would have to copy out of them and then submit them. And uh, you had to do like 300 a week or something like that, and you would get paid $500 a week for it. And I uh-huh. remember this was like the best gig I've ever had because I was able to do them because I'm a pretty fast reader and editor and like I was able to do them all in like an, an afternoon like three four five hours watching football I would just do them and get five hundred dollars <laughs> for it and I was like holy shit like I would do this forever if I could like eventually it dried up but I would have done it like I would still be doing that gig it was so sweet <laughs> getting 500 there's bucks. something very
2: pleasing about that though right it,
1: yeah. was, like... it
0: was the same monotony that you were talking about earlier where yeah. you're like sitting there and like doing this thing that like it's easy and you can do something else while you're doing it and the pay was obs- it was obscene like I'm sure other people had to take a lot more time doing it but I just happened to be like really fast at it nice. um, mm-hmm. So anyway, so yeah, so I was at Wired for a while, um, and I remember uh, in like a, a, towards the end of 2011. Well, first of all, I wound up meeting with Joel Johnson once because they were considering me. I think on Kirk's recommendation I remember for that. a yes. gig, but that uh, that went to Evan Narciss, who's another fantastic writer, and I'm glad he got that gig instead. Another
2: example of the kind of thing I was talking about earlier, where it's right. like. One person gets it, but you
0: kind of want everybody who is up for it. Yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And then I remember in the fall of two thousand eleven, I went to a PlayStation Vita event and um, I was at Wired at the time and I remember meeting Steven and he like knew who I was from Wired and I was like, Oh cool, like I'm a big fan. I've been following your work for a while. Um and then I came home from that and like I had some scoop from it or some mini scoop or something that I got some piece of info from the PR person. And I remember and Steven noticed that and like it, he was like, hmm, I have to I have to hire this guy. <laughs> and he thought to himself, and then in December of that year, I got an email from him being like, Hey, you wanna meet up and chat? And we had some beers and nachos. I remember it was at this place in Soho, um, near the Kotaku office, and we sat and chatted and he was like, So I'm gonna be taking over Kotaku, I would love for you to come aboard and one thing led to another. I remember being very hesitant about it because Kotaku didn't have a great reputation at that point. Because like you mentioned before, Maddie, under Cosente, under there was some sexist stuff. And like Kotaku yeah. definitely was not as progressive as it is now um, and yeah. has become.
2: Yeah, yeah, there was a there was a, and you were at Wired. I mean, like you had, yeah. even though this was the obviously prestige. a much better paying and, and full time right. job, Wired right. as Wired, like it's got a name.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. but but it was like it's a yeah yeah wired is wired, but it was like at that point I think I had gotten a couple of raises, so I was making like fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars a month from Wired, but like no benefits and like right. that mm-hmm. is not enough to live. Still off. a
1: contract job. I kind of remember. I think we talked yeah. about it
2: right when you were considering it, and I was like, dude, you should come work here. It'll be awesome.
0: Yeah. I, well, I asked you. Yeah, you were like, you should. Yeah, you were. I mean, yeah, that was a big positive. Was like, oh, I've been friends for Kirk, with Kirk for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirk who hates on Twitter, even though he met so many close friends on Twitter, such as. I I did. Well, Twitter in 2009 was like right, that's a lot it more. A it was a
2: very different website than it is
0: now. Totally different yeah.
1: version of everything. Yeah, you could actually meet people on there back yeah. then. Yeah, <laughs> but um,
0: but yeah, it was impossible to say no to. I mean, just logistically and practically, it was like yeah. here's a job for fifty something thousand dollars a year, a full time job with benefits, versus right. like you're freelancing and trying to hustle every month to like get get by. And so it was pretty much a no brainer, and I wound up taking the job and staying at Kotaku for a very long time. When so when at when did we launch Burning Questions, the blog series? That was 2012. That was like a few months into 2012.
2: It was was it kind of right after you started? We mm-hmm. were like, let's do this thing together because I think yeah. that that is an interesting. That's really the kernel. I mean, I guess our us watching the Wizard and talking about it. <laughs> In an article that was the in a thing true that was never published. Of, of that was the screen. true, but really the kernel <laughs> that it exists on the internet is Burning Questions, which was, yeah. it was, it's, they're adorable if you read them now because we're trying to be all conversational, but we're writing, we're like typing. So it'll be mm-hmm. like, Hey Jason, buddy, and I'll be like, you know, hey Kirk, and it's like it just has this like funny, it you know, it, it's like listening to us on a podcast kind of, but like we're we're writing, it, so it's, it's like all a little down. bit more awkward.
0: Yeah, well, it was it was us trying to like recreate our aim conversations or Gchat conversations right. or whatever it was right. back then on the page. Like that was the goal. Pre
1: Slack.
2: Which was very Steven's
0: approach in general was always uh-huh. like whatever fun things you're doing should be on the on the page. Yeah, exactly. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Mm-hmm. That was the TV network era of Kotaku. Was when when Stephen took over. Yeah, and everything started. was oh, like
1: gosh. a TV channel for yeah, a second yeah. there. I don't know. I got to just enjoy all of those things as a reader. I was not yeah. working there. I was just on the outside, being like, "That's weird." Are they doing this what now? a
0: strange website it did, not, it did not last it did not last very long some of Stephen's ideas were were more uh, like lasted longer than others um, he was prescient about the idea of like games coverage being about games that are out now rather than games mm-hmm. that are coming in the future yeah
2: that post what's the I always, like what's it's like yeah, the, the future of of, it's kind of like the, the yeah. wordplay we're doing with the episode title it's yeah, like the future yeah, of yeah, Kotaku's yeah. games coverage is the present or something like that yeah mm-hmm. which was
0: yeah which was very which i think set the yeah. tone for everybody now like you don't know, see uh, any mm-hmm. gaming website like posting new screenshots coming or like hot new trailer screenshots the they're out there
2: those screen, those websites are still out
0: there though now yeah, i, I mean, feel like I mean, the, the
2: equivalent the, of that is how to unlock the whatever X weapon in whatever sure. game? Like the, it's now sure. it's that's the version. Well,
0: of that. That, yeah, that's different. Google bait has become another thing. But right. that's
2: about a game that's out now. That's that's helpful.
0: Right. That's true. Yeah. So yeah. it is. It is more relevant. And yeah. And then Cedar could talk for a long time until the Deadspin thing happened. And I think <laughs> I, I maybe I would have been looking for something for just a change before that. Um, but really when that happened, when Jim Spanfeller destroyed Deadspin, I was like, I cannot be here anymore. Yeah. And like the day after that, I started looking for, for new jobs. Um, mm-hmm. as I think many, many of us who were at Kotaku at that point, did. that was
1: when I started looking for new jobs as well, perhaps even the same day I yeah. was like, yeah. well, the time <laughs> has come, uh, yeah. I'm gonna as, go, and I—I I mean, I was in a similar boat too, where I was like, I don't—I don't think I'm gonna be at Kotaku forever, but mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm gonna do next, and I don't have to worry about it right now. Mm-hmm. But then after that happened, I was like, yeah, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> gotta find a yeah, job. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice
2: to have a moment of clarity like that, right? I mean, I—I I was already gone, but I think I'm sure I would have had the same reaction if I had been there.
1: Yeah, well, it was another instance of at least Jason and I getting very lucky though, that we both found a new job at the same sure. time and were mm-hmm. able to st- all start triple click at the same time. Also true. That, I mean, which man, is, is an absurd providence. Like I can't even yeah. believe. That and the whole that process
2: out. of making triple click, which was yeah,
1: people don't know how stressful all of that mm-hmm. actually was. Yeah. For Cause us. that was
2: especially when like y- you, we, they were just like, you guys were both lining up jobs in different ways and like,
1: and it was like, no. are we each going to get the various things we were trying to line up? Right. And, like it, really seemed dicey at some various moments that it would ever work and I considering
2: don't know. that it worked out as well as it did the actual progression of events doesn't isn't all that stressful it just is like wow that really worked out but it was yeah. like leaving we both leaving kotaku us stopping kotaku split screen Then COVID happening in the midst of job hunts, us not being sure when we were going to launch, trying to find a network, finding Max Fun who were like so cool knowing that we found this great home for the show. Everyone, it like really all just wound up working out but there were so many times where it almost didn't
0: and uh it's, yeah. really, it's really great that it did and at the same time by the way at the same time I was trying to finish a book Oh right. yeah, Jeez, yeah. and
1: like having a child
0: and had just had a child <laughs> yeah
2: I just had a child right oh, yeah there was quite. a baby that was quite a time that was a time like times are stressful mm-hmm. now but... and
1: it was so recent that's what's yeah. really funny about it is that it feels mm-hmm. like it was 10 years ago but it also it wasn't it was not even a year not even a year ago <laughs> So
0: something interesting that happens in journalism is you wind up getting, like in a groove and well I don't know maybe this doesn't happen to everybody but like you wind up becoming like embracing a beat and just like being part of that beat and like Mm -hmm. sticking to that beat and um, it has its pros and cons right like because like I said like it's very good for your career and I can say this firsthand to be like known for for being good at something and like like have uh, one area or one territory to call your own and people know sources know to come to you and readers know to find you there etc etc but it can also be like creatively stifling and like make you want to branch out and do other things. And so there is mm-hmm. there are definitely some like pros and cons. It's like very much a be careful what you wish for sort of thing with 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 that as in lots of things.
2: There's kind mm-hmm. of a way that the bag theory fits in with this, which is mm. that it's nice to be able to sort of shift to a different direction just slightly if you're not thinking of yourself as too specialized Mm -hmm. and I mean Mm -hmm. the downside is of course you can be under specialized and then never really break through in any one direction but it can be nice to be like well I've done this I've I've found at least that like I'll do something for a set period of time Kotaku was the longest I have ever done a job even though the last few years there I was definitely feeling like all right like I'm ready for a new act here like this just this has been cool but it's time for something new but it is nice to kind of be able to just slightly shift even if you're shifting into something that is like related enough that you're not leaving behind all the skills you got in the context and everything you learned how to do you're just kind of going in a slightly different direction it can be nice to sort of massage mm-hmm. that if it's possible
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and have the other gaming outlet to uh to rely on right. and triple like, click and yeah yeah well yeah having
2: like... a play i mean this is the for me i'm like very happy like this is wonderful i love just
0: having this as the games if you didn't have chipbook like you might yeah yeah you would be you would have the urge to talk about games in other ways yeah if you didn't have chipbook
2: i would have some kind of video game podcast because this is just such a great (laughs) such a good outlet it's so fun because it's just like talking to two cool people and like each week just sort of having that casual thing especially with games which can become so not casual so quickly and so stressful so quickly It's, it's nice to just to have it be this way um all right well let's talk about our resolutions a little bit um just you know it doesn't have to be a whole thing but i'm sort of curious what um what your two resolutions are let's go well let's keep the order going so maddie what are you what are you planning on sure. for 2021
1: um, so it's sort of a work resolution I, th- I guess this whole show is about work i didn't intend that to be the case although it's mm-hmm. right it's it's true we all define ourselves by our work and i definitely do that we do so and you know i i in in my description of my career trajectory, I've sort of talked a lot about writing and how I used to be a writer and a reporter. And at this point in my career, I'm very much an editor. And that's a distinct change that happened at Kotaku. Like after Compete closed... I had some editing experience at the Mary Sue, but that was because the Mary Sue was such a small publication that everyone had to do everything all the time. There were like literally five people. So it was like, you got to learn how to do everything, which I loved about it. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed working there, but it was also very scrappy. And so then at Kotaku, after Compete closed, Stephen was like, well, there is this editor job that we could hire you for. I don't know if I can make it work or not, but I know you have editing experience, so let me know if you even would want it. And I was like, yes, of course, without even thinking about it, because I was Mm -hmm. like, I need a fucking job. I just lost my job. (laughs) Right. And then I luckily ended up really enjoying it, doing a lot of editing, got promoted twice and did a lot of management stuff at Kotaku before I left. And now that's all I do at Polygon. I run the entire game section at Polygon. So it's a lot of editing and like administrative stuff, which I really like, but I miss writing. (laughs) Yeah. And I've sort of realized that this year. And my boss, Chris Plant at Polygon, does this thing where he does a lot of management stuff, but he'll still carve out time to write. And he writes more than I do because he just carves out the time to do it. Yeah,
2: he like does a whole newsletter. It's It's impressive.
1: Oh, yeah. But it's because he just demarcates the time. And he's just like, this is something that matters to me. And we have a lot of editors at Polygon. And I've sort of taken stock of it. And I've been like, well if I wanted to do some more writing, I could, and I could just kind of redesign my job and do it that way. And it's not official yet or anything, but it's sort of like an unofficial resolution where yeah. like, nice. I want to try to do that for myself this year and and do some more writing again. Like I, I reviewed the last was part two last year. And I did a couple of stories that I was like proud of and thought were fun and cool or like big swings or whatever. And I was like, these are, these are cool. I miss doing this. Um, so I don't know what that looks like for me, but I'm, that's my resolution: is that I want to nice. try to do some writing again because I miss nice. it. Nice,
0: that's a good resolution. That's exciting.
2: I like your writing, so that's a that's a good resolution. Yeah, I'm recently we'll I'll do more we'll Maddie Myers. A uh, behind the scenes <laughs> thing I'll share with with listeners is that I was reading this article. Oh, it was the most anticipated games. <laughs> yeah, article, which <laughs> yep. is great, and it's funny. As much as we talk about like blurbs
1: about you know
2: talking about <laughs> games that are out on New Year's Day, when I was on, on my phone looking at the internet, I really wanted to read an article that was the 50 games that Polygon is looking forward to in 2021. It was a great article. And I remember reading it and being like... But that's the perfect way to approach future games, as opposed to, so, like, uh, yeah, check yeah, out yeah, this yeah. new yeah. trailer. About yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, like, it, of course. Um, but I was reading it, and also, I was just like, this is well-written and well-put-together. And thinking, like, I wonder how much of this Maddie wrote. And then G-chatting <laughs> and be like, hey, this article is good to the two of you. And you were like, yeah, I wrote most of that article. Or, like, I wrote a lot of... That. I was like, okay was a nice feeling.
1: compliment. I, I feel like blurb writing is a lost art. I, it is you know, no, it's but it, yeah. something I used I used to write a lot of blurbs as a web mm-hmm. intern at the Boston Phoenix. Like no lie, that was like one of the entry level things was like writing mm-hmm. blurbs and headlines. And I still feel like
0: that's a good skill with like
2: no byline, like it's just anonymous writing in the editor in yeah. the editorial. No voice.
1: byline. Oh, no byline. God no. Unpaid internship. Yeah. Getting some blurbs in the paper. Nobody knows you wrote them. That's how yeah. it was, baby. Yeah, it's kind but of yeah, an art still... form though.
0: I'm Still trying to remember oh here it is okay man <laughs> I just found an article I wrote in December of 2016 the end of 2016 and it's called Kotaku's most anticipated games of 2016 and it's a list of all the games that like had been oh, I on list of 2016 yes. yep. yes, games previous year, and it's like taking taking that, that fun little that's shot hilarious. at hilarious. because they were all delayed yeah. of course so that's the other thing about the most anticipated games list is they all get delayed to the following year a lot of the
1: year. ones on our list have already already been delayed like yes. in the month since we mm-hmm. put it up because mm-hmm. like right. this year covid etc hmm
2: uh, jason what are your uh, what are your resolutions
0: sure well are we going in the same order okay whatever i'll just oh, go whatever here. Right. you're <laughs> up you're up it's after hours man it's, it's chill So yeah i have a lot i have a lot of things that i want to do this year like i have a really really ambitious plans for this year some mm. of the things i can't talk about yet um But a couple that I can talk about. First of all, so last year, I don't know if you guys remember, we did like a New Year's resolution last year. And mine was like, I want to lose thirty pounds. And then mm-hmm. a pandemic hit. And I think mm-hmm. I don't really trust anybody who lost weight during the pandemic. So I will say I will say I did not accomplish that. In fact, I gained weight during the pandemic. So I think it, it's another good resolution to be like, you know what, this mm-hmm. year, obviously we're still in a pandemic and it's very difficult to like like do things and especially when you have a toddler. But that's mm-hmm. a that's a resolution is to like get get in better shape. Um, but I also, in a more like career tangible perspective, I really want to write fiction. Like I really want to my next book potentially, maybe not my next book, but at some point I really want to publish a fiction book of some sort. That's awesome. And I just haven't had the time or the drive, but that is one of my goals for this year is to like finish something fictional or start or like get a, get a decent amount of something done. Um, that I could potentially publish. Cool. Down the That's road. That's awesome. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you ever
2: need test readers for anything, um, I would love to do that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 I think. I think I might start with a short story and like release it mm-hmm. on Twitter or something like that. But I don't know. TBD. Seems cool. seems wise. Start small. Kirk, what about you? Nice. Um, well.
2: I've got a bunch of resolutions. I don't really call them resolutions because I sometimes some of these I decided to do in the middle of the year, but they're things I'm carrying over. But I got them. They're specific and I'll list them. So some are carryovers. One is no phone in bed. That's still going. Don't wow. look at my phone in bed. Congrats! That's good. It's great. It's a really good one. Highly recommend it. Not in the morning, not at night. Read a book. That's it. Do all your internet shit when you're not in bed. Um, Second one is, this is just a habit I've been in, is I go on morning walks every morning. walk up Mm -hmm. Mount Tabor, listen to an album. I actually come back and then I walk Appa. Um, our dog. So like she doesn't come with on those walks because it's a whole situation when she comes with, she sniffs, it takes forever. You know, walking the dog is different than just like going on a brisk walk up a mountain and back down. And mm-hmm. it's enough time for me to listen to one album. So I listen to an album every morning. It's a great way for me to listen to more music too, which is just really good. I'm in better shape. I feel good. I start the day like kind of early. I, Great. Still doing it. Very happy. I kind of fell out of the habit of doing that in the fall. I fell out of the habit of a lot of these during the election when I was just stressed out. Yeah. And started yeah. feeling like shit. And I was, like, stressed out and, like, felt gross and wasn't getting exercise. And I was like, oh, right, because I stopped doing all the things that, like, helped me not feel that way. So um, I've been recommitting to those. It's funny how that works. It is funny. Um, a temporary one is I've been doing dry January. Uh, cool. So I have not had a drink since uh, M's folks were visiting uh, very safely, they took their RV out. We did totally like isolated, we were safe, but um, we did drink wine and stuff with them. But then when they left, since then, I haven't had anything to drink all of January, so I've left Twitter. That's my other one. Did as you then. drink a lot before, or is this just no? Like a- um, it's more you know, I would have like a drink a night ish, like not always, but like a scotch or something um mm-hmm. maybe after dinner
1: but i mean it can affect your sleep there's any oh, number of health reasons oh my god
2: it's been well and so yeah especially when you're as you get older it you know you really like your your rate of all kinds of stuff cancer and all the stuff goes up if you're having I don't know what the number is but like five drinks a, a week or something which like if you mm-hmm. have a drink every night that's seven that's more than that. Wait, and like, I
0: thought it was healthy to have a glass of wine. I guess is wine, is wine different? No
2: that's totally not true no it's oh, not no. even true of wine like that's all just bullshit like that's is all it that's, it's yeah, not it healthy is. to drink alcohol alcohol is like poison. It's like, sugar
1: it's, it's, sugar it's just sugar and
2: poison, poison. <laughs> like it's <Uh-oh>. not it's, <laughs> it's not terrible for you or anything but like it's not a thing where there's like a healthy drink that's just I mean I whatever I'm not going to get into well and maybe there are studies that do find that I don't want to get into that. But, like, for me, at least, it's clear that when I'm having a drink a night, it's, like, slowing me down and just making it a little harder to get up in the morning. And, like, you know, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really do anything for me. Like, I'm not drinking and, like, getting drunk or anything or even buzz. It's just sort of like, oh, well, you kind of mellow out. So I was like, I'm going to try Dry January because that's a thing. My sister was doing it. We were talking about it. So I'm like, yeah, what the hell? Um, no big deal. And it's been nice. It's been interesting. Um, I sleep differently. I get up. It's easier to get up. Um, my dreams are like different. Like I remember them more because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it wasn't like I was going to bed drunk or anything. It was just kind of like you just sleep a little differently if you just have a little bit of alcohol in your system. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's been, uh, it's been interesting. And, um, I'll, I'll, I don't know if I'll keep it going fully dry in February, but it's been cool to try it for a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Oh, uh, so a big one is, so I've been getting back to my schedule, and Maddie, you were talking about your schedule. I have like a daily schedule that I do where it's like the morning mm-hmm. block and the afternoon block. And yeah. when I get off of that, I get so much less productive. And it's not just about productivity. It's like I get less happy. Like I just feel like I waste so much time and then I feel bad about it. I'm like, well, what? Did it you have all these things you want to do, but what did you even do this afternoon? You were just like on email or something or like reading the internet like what you didn't do anything so when i'm like what am i supposed to be doing right now well i'm supposed let's look at the thing oh i'm supposed to be editing triple click and finishing the episode okay well that's what i'm doing right now so i'm gonna go do it so i'm back on that it's been really good And it ties in with the music thing I was talking about earlier Where like In the mornings I used to practice
0: Finish your album Yeah well in the
2: mornings It used to be practice Every morning I would practice guitar Practice drums Practice bass Have a rotating thing Where I'm like learning these instruments Because I'm like Not that good at any of those instruments And I have to really practice them To get better But now I'm like Okay Stop Like you've you're good
0: enough, you need to make an album. <laughs> like stop practicing. No more practice. Yeah, I just I just want to point out that when Kirk says he's not that good at any of these instruments, he's like <laughs> leaps what? and bounds above <laughs> any normal. It's person. a lie.
1: You have all heard the triple click theme song. You all know he's lying. <laughs> yeah, openly. I mean, yeah,
0: Studio yeah. Magic. I don't know. I'm better at saxophone than those Kirk, instruments. When you say you're not that good at something, it's like like what I could only dream to be good <laughs> like at okay, any okay, given well, instrument. I, but
2: I don't want to sound like humble bragging guy who like I like I legitimately like I I struggle but with those instruments at times.
0: Right. I'm just saying your standards are different than like uh, the average person who might like fuck around with a guitar every once in a while. That's that's the only point I'm making.
2: I I, I see what you're saying and I could keep practicing them forever and I will. And so there was like, I had to kind of cut that off and just be like, instead you're going to spend that time making music, like recording whatever you can play and just finishing shit because that was the thing I wasn't doing. So I've been doing that in the morning and the schedule has been good for that. Um, Another thing is, so I got an iPad uh, in December Pretty cool. Like, I've had iPads in the past. I, they get old, and then they stop working and use them as a photo mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a new one. The new ones are sweet. The iPad Air. And it comes with, like, a little folio keyboard, or you have to pay extra for a folio keyboard, that turns it into, like, a little, kind of a little laptop. And I didn't get the super crazy expensive one, but I got the, this kind of middle-of-the-road one. But um, And I was kind of like, all right, am I going to use this? What I needed it for, actually, was sheet music because... Uh, a lot of musicians i know will they'll just take their parts and put them in pdfs and then you can use the pencil to like mark up your part you just put it on your stand it's like super easy to switch pages you don't have to carry a folder of music and i was like oh that'll be useful just for like in the studio when i'm tracking parts like to be able to just switch between parts so i got it for that but i found this other use for it and that is that i have taken all of my communication stuff so um iMessage and Gchat and Discord and uh, Patreon where I like talk to patrons, email, everything off of my work computer, the studio computer that we're on right now, completely off. And it's just on the iPad. And the only time I do that stuff is out on the iPad, like in the, in the dining area or in the living room, like I'll get on there and do that, but I don't do anything. The only thing I do on this computer is like make podcasts and make music. Like that's it. And it, actually has been amazing to like separate those things out. And it really helps with the time management thing because I'm like, mm. well, I can't just check my email right now because I'm yeah. logged out on this computer and it's just not something I do on this computer anymore. And it's been really great for like putting that boundary up between that kind of work and the creative work. And yeah. then, uh, I don't know, no Twitter. So I'm still off Twitter. That's been great. I'll, just tweet out my work, but not. I don't need to be on there. It's just distracting. And then the last one is a video game one, and that is a slightly tweaked version of one I've done in the past, which I used to do this thing where it was like one game at a time, play to completion, like finish the whole game, then mm-hmm. play another one. I'm changing it to just one game at a time because playing it all the way through sometimes just feels like the game is just too damn long. The like games are too long and I don't have time. So instead I'm just like, just play one thing at a time. In the fall when I was playing all these different things it was too stressful. And now um I'm just like, okay, one game at a time, like Hitman Three, when that comes mm. out, I'm just gonna play that game. Like for mm-hmm. a while. That's going to be the only game I play. And then I'll move on to something else and not sort of bounce around between a few different things. Well, then you'll move
0: on to Final Fantasy VI, of course. That's true. That'll probably be yeah, the next, the next thing. Yeah, your
1: rule already has to be broken. But I feel your pain, because I would not I mean, to like, just be playing Dark Souls. Bye. I think it'll just be Final <laughs> Fantasy
0: VI when I'm playing Final Fantasy VI.
1: Sometimes, sometimes this show encourages to play more, more that is true. than one game at a time.
0: Maddie, you will enjoy it.
1: I know I will. I'm, I'm actually really excited about it's it. Be I, fun. I wish it weren't so hard for me to have downloaded it on my <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is slightly motivating my feelings about Final yeah. Fantasy 6. That's true. That's it. I'm sure it's once be you start playing,
0: it'll be cool. You, you will. You will enjoy it. Regardless. As soon
1: as I start playing it, it's going to be amazing. Well,
0: this has
2: been our beanstalk. Kirk, do you have more? Yeah. You no, know, that's it. Kirk, that's all I got. No, yeah, so I think it. we can. I think we can wrap it up there. Mm-hmm. This, this was so a fun. nice. Uh, yeah. It's a nice. I after learned hours. so much. Hang. I feel the same way. Very I know now that, that Maddie can physically beat both me and Jason
0: up. That's...
1: Not true. Kirk, we
2: already knew that. Let's be real. <laughs> I guess I've that, but for now a I know that time. you know like specific karate skills. I can
1: do it rhetorically, but also maybe true. not physically. It's been a very, very long time since I did karate. I should clarify That's still that.
0: a very fun Maddie Myers fun fact.
1: But it's fun know. fact. Maddie,
0: I only made it to like Yellow Belt in Taekwondo, so you're way, way ahead of me. I
1: took it very seriously. I started when I was like 11, and that That's was a huge part of my life. Um, for yeah, an important a, discipline to learn. I don't know. Until I was in my 20s. So I hope my
0: daughter yeah. does the same. I want her to be able to kick ass. She
1: might. I'm
2: assuming that it's like Cobra Kai. I mean, that... The, Karate. karate class is just like Cobra Kai. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. It's identical to the Karate Kid and Cobra Kai, yep. all of that. No, like no guns exist playing. in the world. Right. It's, only <laughs> disputes are settled through yes. karate.
2: At the mall or at school, get into big yep. rumbles, yep. no guns. Nothing that was like my that.
1: life when I was talking about mm-hmm. playing Street Fighter with people from, from the dojo. Sure. I also was referring to like the scrapes that we would get into yes. in the alleys out mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. and the various rivalries. Literal, literal Street Fighter. Literal scrapes, <laughs> actual digital fighting. scrapes. All that kinds was all of scripts. Happening for me in the in the two thousands.
2: Nice. Well, uh, if you listen to all of this, thanks for listening, and thanks for being a, a maximum fun member. Thanks for supporting us making this show. We're gonna do. Yeah. We've got a beans cast plan for next month. That's gonna be fun mm-hmm. too, and yeah. uh, we'll also be back uh, later this week with another episode of Triple Flick. So Thanks everyone for yeah. listening, and uh, I'll see the two of you shortly. Yeah. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network. And if you're listening to this bonus episode, it means you're already a member. So thank you. We really appreciate your support. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod. Send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time.